data management framework used to simplify incremental data processing and data pipeline development. This framework more efficiently manages business requirements like data lifecycle and improves data quality. Some common use cases for Hootie are record-level insert, update, and delete, simplified file management, and near-real-time data access, as well as simplified CDC data pipeline development. In this episode, we speak to Vinoth Shandar, VP of Apache Hootie. Vinoth is the creator of the Hootie project at Uber, and he continues to lead its evolution at the Apache Software Foundation. Previously, he was a principal engineer at Confluent and a senior staff engineer at Uber before that. We discuss building large-scale distributed systems and data management systems. A few announcements before we get started. One, if you like Clubhouse, subscribe to the Club for Software Daily on Clubhouse. It's just Software Daily, and we'll be doing some interesting Clubhouse sessions within the next few weeks. Uh, And two, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring a variety of roles. We're looking for a social media manager, we're looking for a graphic designer, and we're looking for writers. If you are interested in contributing content to Software Engineering Daily, or even if you're a podcaster and you're curious about how to get involved, we are looking for people with interesting backgrounds who can contribute to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, Again, mostly we're looking for social media help and design help, but if you're a writer or a podcaster, we'd also love to hear from you. You can send me an email with your resume, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. That's jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Vinoth, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me. So today we should have a pretty riveting discussion about data lakes and data warehouses and data infrastructure in general. So I'd like to start off by just setting the stage as I see it. The abstraction of the data lake is this place where you throw all your data into low-cost storage and you can later on do things with that data. And since it's cheap, you really save all your data there. And the data warehouse is a place of more expensive storage. It's maybe closer to being in-memory and it's typically more expensive but faster to access. That's a very rough description of how I see those two abstractions. I would like your perspective on those two abstractions and how those terms have evolved over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think what, how you described them were pretty much how they were few up till a few years ago. Starting from if we if we rewind a bit, you know what we had was back to the the Teradata, the Vertica, the the era of on like more coupled storage compute data warehouses, right? They were pretty much MPP databases, right? And then Hadoop came along to power mostly, uh, you know, bring a lot of horizontally scalable compute power over the kind of like data that you collect from your operation systems, right? And then this is kind of like how most of these data lakes and warehouses coexisted. But in the last, I would say like five years or so, both the data lakes and the warehouse ecosystems have evolved dramatically. Specifically speaking, cloud warehouses have are, are you know, prime time now, right? And, and they offer actually much of a very different architecture than their predecessors. Specifically, they decouple storage and compute. And then the storage is usually horizontally scalable using a cloud cloud storage. 
that way they, they sound similar to data lakes right and then if you take data lakes data lakes have absorbed a lot of the you know the needs for transactionally managing data or having abilities to you know mutate and update your the data that you stored in a data lake moving away from the sort of okay let's treat it as a dump of all cheap dump of all the data to like a more consciously organized a lot of structured data that is flowing into the data lakes and then the data lake technologies have started to become more and more like database slash data warehousing primitives as well so that's the world that we are heading towards from where i see it what do you know about the different popular data warehouse data lake abstractions so i would see the three primary ones i would see are snowflake bigquery and the spark data lake house architecture with delta and uh, and spark maybe you would include redshift plus something i don't know but maybe you could lay out the different popular data warehouse data lake abstractions and how they contrast with one another yeah so i let's start with cloud data warehouses right and uh, i actually would put redshift in front of the list i look at redshift bigquery and snowflake as the cloud warehouses when 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 you know i think of them they all share some very common characteristics like they all have a lot of database like primitives right they let you do foreign keys the, the 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 amount of transactional capabilities that you have on them is actually much higher than what you see with as we'll see when we talk about the data lake abstractions right and then they all have you know one internal proprietary format they're not very open but then they are able to they have they're pretty much like vertically integrated systems which have one sql one file format uh, like a you know execution runtime and it's a very tightly integrated system that you use for bi and like sort of like your regular analytics right so i i look at them in in a similar sort of like bucket and moving on to the data lakes that's where the context of uh, my involvement with apache hudi from 2016 or so there's apache hudi and then there's delta lake from databricks and then apache iceberg which originated netflix right so all of them provide i would say a transactional layer on top of you know what used to be file file just like managing files on top of s3 or you know cloud object stores just using the same open file formats that that we all have come to like love and embrace in the last 5 years like you know parquet or c right but and we can get into this more but all these three projects even have very similar uh, some similarities as well as huge contrasts as well in the way in their internal design and how they how they approach the problem and lakehouse is talking about that personally for me when when the lakehouse terminology and everything came out it wasn't hugely surprising to me because we we had already been building something like that at uber uh, in production for you know few years i know like several large tech companies have been already doing similar things where the core idea was hey let's bring some data like you know sort of warehouse primitives to the data lake and and kind of try to do more on the data lake itself that was the that was the core idea right and uh, i think databricks did a great job of 
kind of adding an industry perspective to that kind of architectural pattern, being one of the, you know, the leading uh, Spark compute providers out there. I think they, they did a very good job of like articulating that vision. But that's kind of how I see it. Since you mentioned Uber, can you give me a little bit more context on data warehousing at Uber or data infrastructure at Uber where you worked? Yeah, so let's take a little, little trip down you know, memory lane. So I, I showed up at Uber in 2014 and this were like really, Uber was growing really, really fast, right? So which meant uh, as we launched more cities, the data volume was growing as well. And Uber is a very real-time business. So, you know, there is actually a lot of, you know, incentives and we can act, like save a lot of money by building, you know, a lot of systems that optimize for data freshness. Would have the company, the, the city operators, the engineers, everyone have, you know, access to data, right? So we started with like, you know, like a cloud, like, a, sorry, not, not a cloud. We're, so Uber is all full on-prem. So we started with, you know, Vertica, right? And like a best-in-class MPP, an on-prem data warehouse. But as the data volume grew, we ha- we realized the need for a data lake, right? Uh, going back to what how I started this our, our chat, we brought in like HDFS, uh, HDFS based, uh, like uh, you know we dumped all our initial data into the data lake, used Spark, wrote some ETLs, and then moved all of the raw data off the of of our on-prem warehouse. But as we tried to do this exercise, what we realized was adding this extra layer between our operational databases and the warehouse with the data lake was actually adding a lot of latency in, in, in between them because mostly due to everything being done in a bulk, big batch fashion in the Hadoop world. And that's kind of how Hoodie was born. Hoodie, what we tried to do with Hoodie was, well, Vertica is great. It already supports, you know, updates, deletes. And then we were we are actually able to take let's say database change logs and kind of, you know, absurd Vertica, if you will. And then that gives us great, you know, query uh, data freshness and Vertica gives us good query performance. Why don't we replicate something similar by building like a transactional, a serverless transactional layer right on top of a Hadoop file system abstraction. So it would work with HDFS, S3, it's future proof. And we try to solve for updates and deletes on, on, for while ingesting operational data into the data lake. So we could we could go from you know a 24 hour a, 60, a batch job that runs for like you know 12, 16 hours, 24 hours to actually something that finishes in 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes. And then we can actually tune the latency based on our needs actually, because the, the hoodie was written as a database using Apache Spark as a runtime, so it can horizontally scale really, really well. And the second problem that we solved was just solving for updates and deletes wasn't like, you know, enough, right? Because normally in the data lake architecture, you would have a set of raw tables and then they would write ETLs to build more derived tables out of them. So what happens now is all these derived tables have no intelligence about what data actually changed. So instead of, for example, like if you have a simple ETL job, which was standardizing currency conversion or some some very simple row-based operation, it would have to actually full table scan the entire trips table to actually understand what changed, right? So we said, okay, why? how does stream processing solve this? 
it's you give people like a chain string, right? So those are the two fundamental things that we built in Hoodie. And then we built transactionality as actually a side effect of having to support like, you know, like update deletes and incremental chain streams. And that's kind of how Hoodie was born. By end of, we, we, we did this in 2016 and by end of 2016, Hoodie was already powering all of the critical kind of business critical data sets at Uber storing like, uh, you know, a few petabytes already. And we open sourced the project in 2017 and uh, we entered the incubator, uh, the Apache incubator program in 2018 and uh, graduated out of that. And we've been, you know, having sort of like growing the community alongside many cloud uh, providers who adopted Hoodie in their platforms as well to solve, you know, these same problems that exist broadly across the industry. So tell me why the problems that you're describing with Hootie, like just just to double down on on your explanation, why did the problems that you're you're describing that were solved with Hootie not why were they not solved by like the existing data infrastructure technology at the time? And 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 have they been solved by by these existing data lake, data warehouse products today? So I think the core problem was we were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? We can get, we knew we needed capabilities like transactions and update and updates and deletes for us to quickly ingest data from like an upstream database into the warehouse, but the warehouse couldn't hold all of the data, right? Because it was the storage and, you know, you can, you can run off like a tens of, ten, a, a tens of nodes of a warehouse cluster, but you know, our, our data is just so huge that it won't fit on any one cluster, right? So that was a limitation of the data warehouse stack where we had the functionality, but we couldn't scale it out. But on the, you know, the, the Hadoop stack, right? There, there's actually, generally speaking, there is like not very mature systems to ingest data and manage them really well at that time. So most of the work in the Hadoop plan had gone into, you know, building HDFS, YARN, you know, these Hadoop Spark, Hive Spark, Presto, these query engines, right? Not a lot of attention had been paid to actual data management or the storage layout. Simple things like, for example, sizing the file. So famously, HDFS, you scale HDFS and keep it healthy by writing well-sized files, right? So no library would enforce this uniformly across the entire ecosystem, right? Large companies all try to build their own solutions and like, you know, in, in, in different uh, timelines in their uh, company's evolution. So we were actually, we had a clear gap that we were trying to build. And that's kind of how, how Hoodie was born. If I fast forward today, I would say, yeah, the cloud warehouses uh, have done a great job of kind of solving for, let's say, the data scale problem that I mentioned with the old gen data warehouses, right? Because their storage is on S3, not on our, our you know, GCS or some cloud store, not on the local box. So we can, so the, they do solve the data storage scaling problem, but the, the issue still remains that they are uh, proprietary formats, right? So if we were to do this again today, I would still build what we built because we wouldn't want to like, you know, lock away all of the company's raw data into one proprietary format. That challenge remains. The second problem is, I think this is, these, these are all the places where I, you know, the, the, 
the argument that Databricks makes towards lake houses resonate with me is they're not very general purpose in a sense that we need support for data science and machine learning as a first class citizen. And then we want the data scientists to be building their models and analytics off of the same data that you know the analysts are using for reporting. So if you have a sort of like a, you know, a stack where the data gets into warehouse, uh, the cloud warehouses first, and then you make copies for the, in your data lake for your machine learning or something, you run into tons of data quality problems. And architecturally, I think it still makes sense to have the data enter into a raw data lake, you know, powered by something like Apache Huri very quickly. That way it, it adds very little overhead for any downstream processing that you want to do. And then you pick and choose what tools you want to kind of curate your data, if you will, for analytics or, you know, there are lots of other real-time analytics stores, right? Like your Druid and the ClickHouse, Rockset kind of like world. So even for real-time analytics, there are other systems, other specialized engines uh, that you can feed this data off of from now. And as an organization, you have all the freedom because all of your data, your, you know, your, the mother copy, if you will, uh, of all this raw data, well managed and is in an open format on very cheap storage, right? So that's, that's, that's what I see companies, at least what I think companies should, should be doing for their data architecture. Hootie is an open source project, which implies that this is broadly applicable. This is not just applicable to a company of Uber, you know, Uber scale, which are few and far between. Why is this a widely applicable problem? Yeah, so this is actually a very, very good question. So when we actually started Hoodie, and even to trace through my own my own journey about the problem, right, I was pretty convinced that this is how, like, we have to build this for Uber, and this is what generally something that people should adopt in general. But the inertia, like the kind of a forcing function, wasn't there to get people to, you know, en mass sort of adopt this, right? If you look at some of these technologies, Hoodie has been around since two thousand sixteen. Or so Delta has been around from 2000, late 17 or 18, something like that. And it actually uh, took us something like GDPR, some some like, you know, forcing function like that, where you suddenly you said, okay, you know what, all your, your, all your data that you're simply dumping onto S3 or something, you need to manage them. Now, you need to be able to like delete stuff. You need to be able to like correct or mask things in there. That is essentially something that applied to any global company, right? And then that was like pretty much uh, brought a lot of focus back onto data lakes because you couldn't just use it as a dump anymore and kind of like ignore a lot of these problems. And that is pretty much where we felt a lot of the hoodie or option really take off. So this problem of updating data transactionally and then ingesting your, you know, like, the, the, the streaming data lake pattern, as I call it, is slowly catching on where people are realizing that, hey, you know what? looks like I have these laws and then the data privacy laws are only increasing. So I need to properly manage my data lake now. So what's the right architecture? So they, the, the con- they're, they're, they're now engaging with this conversation and trying to actually look at answers for, looks like I need to I need a data lake and I need a warehouse. So what's the right architecture, right? So we, we are right at that point in the industry now with these tools and and I think it will we will settle into a pattern of sorts in the next few years. 
Tell me a little bit about what you see as the ideal data architecture. Like, what is the ideal user experience that cuts away as much of the configuration and painful setup work or maintenance work? And what, what's what's kind of the dream experience for the data engineer, the data science team that's working on top of the data platform? That's a, that's another fantastic question. So let's let's think this through from like an organization standpoint, right? So let's say we, there's a company, you know, it, it now has it's it's like you know reasonably successful now. It has hundreds of employees, and then you know now the data the kind of like the data management problems start to like you know crop up, right? Till then you can pretty much use some tool that integrates to do your basic reporting analytics. But now if you have like a lot of people, you have like two, three business functions, you have let's say a risk team, a, a risk and a fraud team, and there is like a finance team, and then there is a product team, and then each of them hire data engineers, right? And then they are interested in some amounts of data that sits in some operational like upstream database, like you know, either MySQL, Postgres, or you know, Oracle or RDBMSs or the NoSQL stores, and then you have the the Kafka data, right? Like the event tracking data. Pretty much every company uses something like that to track a lot of activity that is going on. So, so most companies essentially choose a path where they start by hiring data engineers into individual business functions. They curate, pick and choose some data sets that they need, right? And then they they actually don't end up building like a, you know, a like a full fully centralized data data lake because it's often hard organizationally to fund that kind of product. Right. So what ends up happening is over time there are these silos and then a query that a finance team guy writes is not you know, he can't reconcile the data with someone on the uh, fraud team. And then you need to give like separate kind of like different kind of protection data access controls to someone on the finance team as opposed to the fraud team, right? So so I'm just like describing how people generally go about today and why you hear the pain that people, you know, express working with data lakes, right? So I think the first and foremost uh, thing to solve, the dream experience in my opinion would be like if there were like, you know, a very easy path for first just in raw replicate a lot of your upstream systems into the data lake, right? And this this has to be done in the raw without much transformations. And it has to be done very quickly so that you're not waiting for this data to arrive for like, you know, hours together before you can do your things, right? So as long as you can build that like streaming raw data layer, as I call it, and then it free and with some like tools and controls, uh, access controls and on top of it, then it frees your data engineers from just focusing on the business function, right? They have all the data at their disposal. Uh, if they want to cross join something to get better data quality, right? If you need to join against this one other table to weed out bad rows, it's all there, right? And you don't have to like do something without that and later figure it out. And then you essentially choose, okay, if you look at Databricks today, Databricks is a you know, a Spark runtime with a great sort of like data science stack on top, right? And if you look at something like Starburst or the Presto, the, the HANA Starburst, the, the Presto, the query engine companies, they're really good for like, you know, they have a good BI stack on top. And then so do all of the cloud 
warehouses, right? So then you can, you're actually, if you do it this way, you're fi- you can pick and choose based on your use case, which of these query engines that you want to use. And then you can actually say, okay, you know what? The, I, I'll, I'll give the data science team the Databricks subscription while the finance team is mostly running reports and like dashboards. So I'll give them like, you know, like a Presto or like a cloud warehouse account. So you have the freedom of choice and you can actually control what data goes where and at what price point. And then you use, again, like going back to what I was saying before, this initial raw data layer adds very little data latency. So you're, you're not really, you know, a lot of people, given historically, the data getting into the data lake itself is a pain and takes like few hours. People usually, you know, circumvent it. They, they dump databases into, database change logs into, you know, warehouses, reverse copy it into the data lake. You know, they do like a lot of these like convoluted data flows. But with this kind of model, it's very streamlined, right? All operational data flows into the data lake very quickly. And this is the origin point for any derived data computation that you do in your company. So at any point, you can move from one cloud warehouse to another or bring in like your favorite, deprecate an old real-time you know, analytical engine and bring in a new one. You will be able to recompute pretty much anything if you need it to. And you have a lot of freedom in this model. That's what I think we should be moving towards, in my opinion. So given that future that you've just described as a North Star, take me through what needs to happen to get the average data infrastructure to that world. Like, what are the other kinds of abstractions or what kinds of advancements do we need in infrastructure technology to to get to that future? Right. So I think a lot of the technology for this is kind of there. And if we now go piece by piece, right, first things we need to do, like, you know, get really good at change data capture, right, from, and this is where projects like Debezium are doing a fantastic job. And there are more and more companies which are providing, you know, CDC streams from databases. And as that kind of becomes like mainstream, so more standardized tooling towards sort of ingesting these streams and kind of baking them into tables on top of the data lakes. I think that is that is something that that we would we would really need. With Apache Hoodie, we took we already taken some large steps in this direction. With Hoodie, that's like something that we we we've been building Hoodie as a kind of like a platform rather than like a transaction layer or something that solves this one update problem. So you get like a ingestion tool out of box, which you can point at like your Kafka cluster or, you know, if you're if you're doing uh, something like Debezium, right? There was a recent Robinhood talk where they did exactly that, uh, where you can get these change logs and apply them very quickly. And then, you know, you get all your business data there, right? So the more tooling and a better path towards like ingesting and integrating the data quickly, that, that's one. The second second path I would say, which is in terms of, if I can take a minute to contrast like cloud data warehouses and the data lakes. So the central meta store in the data lake land is still the Hive meta store, right? And then in the recent years, the Hive meta store has its own like scalability problems, right? It cannot track detailed statistics at the file level or things like that. So I feel like we need to, for people to be able to query this data with great performance and also like provide very good usability, we need like, you know, we need to either like significantly improve the 
something like the Hive Meta Store or or build something like that that can now become like uh, recognize these formats, these new new kind of like systems like hoodie, and kind of like abstract it away for the open source query engines. So that is one technical gap I see. And without this, for example, your individually your 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 Presto query engine may be like really really good, but without all the statistics being fed into it, you you're not going to be able to, for example, get the same level of performance as you would get from like a you know fully vertically integrated system like a cloud data warehouse. So th- those are some areas again that that I think we need to improve on, right? The third point that I would say, which is very core to actually what Hoodie uh, Hoodie's goals are, and admittedly, actually, this is some place where I thought as a project we'd have gotten uh, much further than what we did, which is we have to sort of like think about, you know, how we can learn from stream processing and make more of our batch jobs sort of like incremental or running, you know, re- not reprocessing so much because... Again, anytime you have these like bottlenecks around either data freshness or query performance, that leads to like, you know, because like if business have real needs around them, that can be like, you know, risks and threats your the ideal data architecture that we just like discussed before. That's when people start taking, you know, shortcuts and like sort of going a different direction with their data architecture. And these are three things I, I think that we should we should build. Coming back to Apache Hootie, can you go a little bit deeper into the architecture of Hootie? I guess, you know, since people listening might be a little confused, we, we should revisit what Hootie does exactly, and and then let's talk through the architecture. Yeah. So Hootie, at a, at a high level, the best way to describe something like Hootie is a, it's, it's a data lake platform, uh, and it has a lot of platform components and 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 but which is built around sort of like a database core if you will which is optimized with for a very streaming friendly way so i i knew i i threw in like a lot of words in there so let me like you know break it down more right so at fundamentally at the lowest level query has no long running servers it's a library and where you can, you know, use Spark or Flink to write data to it. You know, Sudi basically organizes like data in Apache Parquet or Apache Avro files. And it provides a lot of metadata, also tracks a lot of metadata uh, about, uh, you know, writes and changes that are happening to this, uh, you know, logical data set on top of cloud storage. And then all query engines like Hive, Spark, Presto, Impala, Trino, and even Redshift, they can directly query data that is written in a hoodie table. That's a high level what what like you know like what what hoodie does as a project. So now if we, if we break down hoodie as like a OSI data layer kind of stack, so you have cloud storage, and on top of that there are these open data file formats, Parquet, you know ORC, Avro file formats, and everything. Hoodie basically defines a layout of an organization of files on top and then provides concurrency control and transactions on top of that. And then on top of that provides some capabilities to do indexing right, of the data so that you can do fast update deletes. And on top of that, it has a 
like a runtime of what I call as stable services. So these are, uh, think of them as if you're familiar with RocksDB or, or BerkeleyDB or any of these like databases more, they all have internal daemons which are optimizing the storage layout and are you know re-indexing something or compacting or, or doing several things in the background while you know, the user is blissfully just writing data into, into the format, right? So we have a bunch of these things which are run during writing or you can run them asynchronously. They can be you know kind of like be running like a daemon optimizing all your tables. So we, we do things like size files, uh, you can absorb updates into delta logs and then later compact them. So there's a compaction service. You can fundamentally alter your storage rail layout and recluster your data for better query performance, right? So we have a clustering service there, and then there's something that can like clean and purge old files. And all of these services are kind of like, you know, they are aware of each other. Like for example, and that is a core dis, you know, design differentiation of Huri as opposed to like, you know, some of the other, other systems out there. And on top of this, uh, this whole like database sort of core, we do have a large number of upper level services. Like there's an ingest service, which can take data from Kafka, turn it into like essentially absurd stream and just absurd a hoodie table in on, on top of S3. And it can do checkpoint management. It can like, you know, recover on its own. Same thing, we have like a bunch of different unstructured data formats that we can, you know, kind of like ingest into a hoodie table. We also have support for transformations. So you can, for example, write streaming style incremental EDL pipelines where you say, I'm gonna consume change streams from even just an upstream hoodie table, right? Just like how you tail a Kafka topic. And then you get essentially, let's say all the records that have been you know, inserted or updated since a point in time, you can simply take them and do your joins and write like, you know, ETL jobs. So again, we, and then we deduplicate data. We have tools that can give you commit notifications when data lands on hoodie tables. And we have like, you know, a, a lot of these things. And this is why I was saying essentially, our principle has been not to just build a core, the, the database core, if you will, but also a set of tools on top where people can simply take it and then solve a real use case very easily. And that that's in a nutshell what, what hoodie lets you do. And just to double down and make sure people understand, explain data infrastructure with and without Hootie. Like, what are the disadvantages they're going to face if you are using a system that would benefit from Hootie but does not have Hootie? Yeah, sounds good. So let's take a let's take a data lake built without Hootie. You have an upstream database. Let's say you have a Cassandra uh, Cassandra cluster or a Dynamo, like some some database which has a bunch of chain streams that are coming in, right? And you have a Kafka cluster through which your microservices are logging events. And then now essentially you have, what we want to build is a data lake architecture where you want to build a raw set of raw tables and then write some ETLs and build a set of derived tables, right? So without Hoodie, the way typically people were doing it is they would write a, you know, like a some sort of like a Spark job or use a framework like, you know, Kafka Connect or or Kamu or some something to just keep write like ingest from Kafka, write these events out as like Avro files, right? And you know, row oriented. That's how how you layer the raw data, and then they would bulk import the database over a few hours, 
or if you they can do change capture from these databases, but they don't know how to apply them, right? So they, they would like do a bulk merge against the, the entire table. So essentially they'll be doing bulk ingestion of databases and they would be doing like, you know, incremental sort of ingestion of the events. But if they, and if they want to go to, you know, ingesting every five minutes of Kafka data or every one minute of Kafka data, they would have to do a lot more to control the file sizes and everything, right? So what this leads to is there is poor uh, data freshness for the database data in the, in the raw, raw layer. And then the event data in the raw layer has a lot of small files or it's in you know row-based formats, which are not very suitable for analytical querying. So when you write these ETLs, they are now delayed as well. You know, So typically you write a bunch of ETLs using Hive or Spark, and then you build a set of derived data tables, right? Those derived data tables also suffer from poor data freshness and the query efficiency of the raw data is very, very poor as well because you have to contend with raw data formats, sorry, row-based formats, and uh, you have to deal with a lot of small files which typically qu kill query performance. So with something like Hoodie, what you can, you're able to do is you use the Hoodie's uh, Delta Streamer tool, which pretty much can you know, if you have a CDC log from Debezium or wherever, or any, any data really in some Kafka cluster, you can keep incrementally ingesting it, continuously keep ingesting it, while, you know, it can upsert the table directly, which means your data latency is in few minutes for even your database data. And for something like event data, you can use, you know, Hoodie will automatically size your files for you so that you're writing like well-sized files so that your downstream ETLs and queries are performing really well. And it's it's in columnar formats and you can take advantage of features like clustering to say, okay, I'm gonna ingest data in arrival time. So, but later, let's say for in case of Uber, right? If you ingest data every 30 minutes, you're gonna like write 10 files. Most of those 10 files will contain data for all cities because that's kind of like how, you know, data arrives. But with something like Hoodie clustering, you're able to do, you know, reorganize the data. If you, and say, okay, I'm gonna bring all the records that belong to a given city in closer to each other. That way a query has to actually scan very less data. So you can do a lot of these things where you can cut down on query, perf like query uh, cost and be more efficient. And also, you know, improve your data freshness pretty well. Now, moving on to the derived uh, data pipelines. So Huri also now gives you a change stream for every single table that you write in Huri, which means you're now able to take the, the same concepts that you have in stream processing, right? So typically, you know, if you're writing a job, a Flink job, uh, reading from a, and joining a couple of Kafka topics, similarly, you can write like a Flink or a Spark job that is joining a chain streams from two Huri tables and it can also join against another hoodie table as a snapshot. And then you are now able to write incremental data pipelines, which again lead to, you know, since they run incrementally, they reprocess less amount of data, which means lower costs, but also they, they lead in, lead to like, you know, better data freshness, right? This is, I think, one of the, the fascinating things for me in when, when we were like also doing this originally at Uber. You don't usually get opportunities where you can actually reduce the cost and also be faster 
when building databases. Like typically, if you if you want database to be faster, you over provision or throw memory at it, or like you actually increase the cost. But here, since batch processing is pretty, you know, like it has a lot of scope for improvement and optimizations. Hoodie gives you a framework to actually incrementally ingest and incrementally do ETLs. That's the nut, in a nutshell what what it'll do for your data lake. So with Hoodie, is everything that is built with Hoodie, is that being pulled into, into memory or does Hoodie use disk at all? Yeah, so when you query a Hoodie table, it's it's no different from querying a Hive table or Presto table or like, you know, for a Hive table. Essentially, whatever these lake engines do is what Hoodie does. Hoodie is merely like, a, a you know, for, for purpose of query layers, it just presents a, like a table abstraction that they query. So Hoodie itself stores everything on top of cloud cloud storage at this point. It does not have any long running in memory components. During its execution, it may cache a few things during a given transaction, but that that's about it. Gotcha. So does the application owner, like the the person who is querying, who is making the ultimate query, like the data scientist, do they know about Hoodie in the ideal world or is it just transparent to them? If they're doing, let's say, batch queries, for example, like, like you know, if you're just querying a snapshot of a table, oftentimes they don't have to actually care whether it's Hoodie or, you know, Delta Lake or whatever, like whatever the, or Hive and Hive, uh, that format is in, right? They're typically interested in simply, okay, the query is faster and the data is correct. That's all. So they don't have to be aware. But if you are a data engineer writing incremental ETLs and, and everything, yeah, then you need to tap into features that are very Hoodie specific. Right, you need to understand how Hoodie will lay out the, the its change logs, what's the format, so those people may be aware. Once again, if you're writing batch ETL pipelines, you, you're not even aware that you know it can be a Hoodie table. It just behaves like any other Hive or you know slash data lake table. Gotcha. So as we're winding down the conversation, uh, there's there's a lot more I would have liked to explore with you, but tell me about the state of Hootie today, what is it capable of, of doing and what's the vision that you'd like to get to with the project? Like how far are you from that vision? So speaking in very broad terms, right, there is a lot of why uh, what Hootie is, is a manifestation of a vision that we shared in 2016 to say, okay, all of batch processing should be very incremental. I would say in that vision, we may, in through Hootie, we made a lot of progress in pretty much cementing that, yeah, when you integrate ingest data for the raw data layer, you need to do it in a very incremental fashion. We built a lot of great a softer stack in Hoodie, which can, which is, you know, which is very, which can be very performant and, and has a lot of capabilities to let you do that, right? So specifically, we have a, a database core and a set of like uh, services that are all horizontally scalable and easily deployable if you're if you know how to deploy spark jobs and flink jobs and you can do a lot out of the box with hoodie the pieces that we would really like to invest for in the future are actually unlocking true end-to-end incremental etl pipelines right we should be able to write very complex like etl pipelines so batch processing is very simple. It's stateless. It's simple, right? Stream processing today is stateful and it takes like, you know, a, a, even a different set of like engineer to write very good stream processing programs. 
So we want to actually lower that bar and then uh, help people write complex, you know, incremental ETL jobs which, and move a lot of the batch ETL workload towards that model. And that's the North Star in terms of like what we want the project to be hitting. The other part is an adjacent thing that we need to solve for in the project is, you know, so if our vision is, okay, so why do we do everything incrementally? We're doing every, in, everything incrementally because, you know, we want to save on costs and we want data freshness to be great. Awesome. But, you know, there are a lot of gaps in the query engine, some fundamental limitations of cloud storage systems that can prevent a query from you getting real-time query performance on this fresh data, right? So there are two dimensions to this. Data latency, which we can solve with the incremental ETL and the incremental ingestion, but interactive and like real-time analytical query performance is something that we need to probably build something like a mute, like a mutable cache, columnar caching layer in Hoodie, which can actually, uh, you know, uh, absorb a lot of updates, keep it in memory, you know, reduce some merge costs so that uh, people can query it well, or we want, for example, Delta and Iceberg, like, so most of these systems who have tried to overcome Hive's limitations have moved us to like a flat file-based like world, right, where all of the table statistics is now written in one JSON file or an Avro file. This is like scalable, but it, it can like take a lot of time to plan queries this way. So I think some like, you know, a highly performant and highly scalable Metastore, uh, much like what I'm guessing what, you know, Snowflake or BigQuery or Redshift like have internally. We need to build something like that, I think. These two put together, I think, will truly unlock the vision that we have, which is all data should be like, be arrive very quickly and should be able to be queried very quickly as well, right? So I, th I think this is how bad we want to do most of our work going forward. Great. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I look forward to seeing what happens in, in the future with, with Hootie and your impact on data infrastructure. All right. And yeah, once again, thanks for having me here. This was like some really deep questions. I really appreciate the amount of like research and like the depth of understanding that, you know, like you, you brought out in this conversation. And I, I really, truly enjoyed this. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks, Manoth.